Hey tribe, friends, and family. Just wanted to uh, drop a quick note here to you. This episode is a little bit different than usual. We had some technical gremlins get into the system on Sunday and we weren't able to record our sermon, but we wanted to just drop a few thoughts to you just to catch you up with the overall series and what we're uh, what we're leaning into in this idea of reconstructing faith. So enjoy. What's the role of others in your spiritual journey? You know, we all construct our faith over time. Uh, often, for many of us, we were raised in homes of faith on some level, and there was a construction that we made of what God is like and how to have relationship with God. Uh, maybe, for those of us who came to faith later on in life, we were first introduced to the way of Jesus by other adults, and we we constructed a view of God, but over time we we deconstructed that and we asked, why is it that way? And we reconstruct imagining how it can be. My question for you today is, what's the role of others in your journey of faith? I was talking with a friend this week over breakfast and we were talking about his counting the cost of discipleship and what it will mean to come under the authority of Christ. And and one of the points in our conversation, we talked about the idea of belonging. And I asked him, can you imagine your story as one who belongs to others? In fact, that's the language that is used more often than things like salvation or forgiven or membership to describe what it means to be in relationship with Christ in the English translation of the Bible. In John chapter 3 and verse 29, John writes, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, speaking about the church and Christ. In John chapter 8 and verse 47, he says, whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. In Romans 14, in verse 8, Paul picks up the idea where he says, If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In Galatians 5, verse 24, Paul says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Each of these phrases translated into belong have a little bit of a different meaning in the Greek. In John 3, it literally means to have and to hold. In John 8, it has this idea of being born of something, the origins from something else. So to be born of God is to belong to God, like a parent to a child. And the way that Paul uses the language, it literally translates, we are the Lord. It's like a possession. So like a spouse or like a child, like a treasured possession, we are the Lord's. We belong, bought at a price. Now, my friend has moved a lot. He's had a lot of people in his life. He's been in a lot of cities and a lot of states. And for him to imagine what it means to belong uh, is, is really important in his journey of faith because I can help him understand the right doctrine or help him understand what it means to repent of certain sins. But if he can actually imagine what it means to belong to God, I think that's going to have a more pronounced effect. Why? Because when you belong to someone, you treat them accordingly. When I belong to my wife, as I do, I I love her, whether she is present with me or when I'm not present with her. My children belong to me, and so they consider my voice and my direction and my teaching when I'm with them, and when I'm not with them, they consider my expectations of them. But as adults, this can be a little bit harder to imagine when we think about belonging to God or belonging to others. And this is really the kicker about the gospel message is that when you belong to Christ and you're baptized into Christ, you you belong to his new family, the church, and they belong to you. And 
Mark chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, these are my brother and my sister and my mother. They're family. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, each member belongs to all the others. See, to belong to Christ is to belong to others. The scriptures are saturated with this truth of one another relationships as the new family of God. We can't get around it. We are inescapably connected to others. And so I think this can be a bit of a challenge for us when we think about reconstructing and deconstructing. And, and there are some reasons for that challenge. We, we tend to see ourselves as not really belonging any place or to any particular type of people. Um, most of us are from some place other than where we currently live, uh, maybe several other places. So there's kind of a placelessness that exists in many of our lives today. I don't live in the city I was born in. Uh, this is the fifth state that my that I've lived in, the fourth that my family's lived in. And so proximity and presence in my location, it doesn't determine the network of my relationships. My relationships are spread out all over the place and I stay connected to them through kind of virtual means. And so there's this disembodied relationship to others that I have in my life that isn't dependent on where I live. I don't have to be in the same continent or same city even to keep up with people. But in that way of having relationship with others, I don't really belong to them in the same way. Like I kind of have a buffered, curated relationship with them through technology, right? I post what I want them to see. I, I like the pictures that I like, you know, that I want to like as they post or whatever it is. We, we have a relationship through text or email or maybe even phone calls or FaceTime, but it's not a relationship based on proximity. There's something different when... I am with people who live in my city, who shop at the grocery stores I shop at, who frequent the coffee shops I frequent, who who live in my neighborhood, who walk their kids in this, you know, and play in the same park that I spend time with my family. They get to see me in many different contexts, on good days, on bad days, when I'm tired, when I'm doing great, when I've had a hard day with my parenting, when I've had a great day in parenting, or when me and my wife are doing well when we're not doing well. There's a proximity that actually connects me to other people in a meaningful way. This is how the church was made up in the New Testament. It was small groups of communities that they didn't move as much as like a Paul who moved all over the place. That He wasn't the average Christian. Most Christians stayed pretty local to their city to their country at the very least but they they stayed in a pretty tight culture and they belonged to their families and they belonged to their neighborhoods and now in the church they belonged to one another and they they lived in close proximity and interaction there was an integrated life with one another and so i think imagining our lives in community in that way um, it's a different way than maybe we think about having relationships today I think another reason why belonging can be challenging is that for us here in the U.S., we are a society that that says the individual is sovereign and exercising any, you know, authority over our personal will, which is the highest ideal, our personal will. Right. 
uh, protecting that personal will is the highest ideal in the U.S., that exercising any authority over that or subjecting our personal pursuit of autonomy and authority, it's to be rejected. Whether it's a person or a government or a church or a savior, it's to be refused because ours is a world where the individual gets to decide identity. You are as a person who you want to be. It's subjective to your own intuition and not based upon others outside of us. In other words, we see ourselves and how we see ourselves isn't determined by who we belong to because we get to curate who we are. In fact, it's kind of a burden that's been put on us in that many of us now wrestle with figuring out who we are. There is identity crisis. There is anxiety and there is depression around our identity because subconsciously we don't know how to discover who we are. This idea of self-belonging is really hard and it's not easy Discovering the authentic me and, and living out my truest self is, is actually a really difficult thing to do. And so when we're in our faith journey and we're deconstructing and reconstructing, if we're starting with I and not us and me and not we, we're starting from this individual, autonomous, self-determining perspective. We'll reconstruct a faith that also looks like that. And it may look very different than how the New Testament authors are talking about their faith as one that belongs to others. This is a, a challenge for all of us, I think, particularly in the U.S. It has its roots deep in our DNA. In 1835, in a book called Democracy in America, a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but he wrote this. He says, individualism is a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate himself from the mass of his fellows, and withdraw into the circle of family and friends. With this little society formed to his taste, he gladly leaves the greater society to look after itself. This is 1835, and he's essentially describing the motivation behind, you know, the metaverse, to just to build your world, to build your circle, to build, curate, to curate what you want in life and how you want it to look, and to just leave the rest of the world to take care of itself. Robert Ballah, who's a professor of sociology at the University of California in Berkeley, he said, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if an individual is to be realized. That somehow it is our personal responsibility to unfold and express our individuality if we are to realize who we truly are. Now, the Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor, he connected this to what he calls the culture of authenticity. In our world, we love the word authenticity. We look for authentic cuisine. We want authentic clothing. We want to hear authentic music. We want to live authentic lives, right? This is what he writes about this culture of authenticity. He says, each of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that is important to find and to live out as one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. You see, the culture of authenticity, this expressive individualism, rejects any model 
that would be imposed on us to determine our identity. It can't be imposed on us because it's outside of us. And yet, from this view, humanity comes to have these core beliefs that that you'll recognize in every car commercial and every rom-com and every self-help book out there, that, that happiness and human flourishing come from your own inner sense of psychological well-being and traditions, religion, received wisdom, regulations, and so social ties that restrict your individual freedom or happiness or self-definition or self-expression. They, they have to be reshaped, deconstruction, deconstructed, or completely destroyed. And what must be reconstructed is something to reflect your inner self, your self-determined, authentic, definition of your truth. And when the church or the preacher or the doctrine bumps up against that, directly or indirectly, we say things like, I'm just not getting fed spiritually. The church isn't what it used to be for me, or my needs aren't getting met. I've outgrown it. And we go on to find something that looks a little bit more like us. And this becomes the purpose of one's life, to discover the deepest self. And Jesus kind of becomes a utility in that pursuit, that he can help us. But really, the goal is that we're after unfolding our deepest, truest self within us. Now, the Bible tells a very different story altogether, a story of faith where we don't belong to ourselves, where the individual alone cannot attain glory of humanity as it was designed to be. In this story, we belong to Christ. We're not our own. We no longer need to self-legislate or self-determine or self-justify. We have one who leads us, who guides us, who will justify our existence for us. We no longer belong to ourselves, but to him who died for us. We no longer wear the crown. We give him rule and reign. We'd submit to his kingdom and kingdom of love and not based on power. His is a gentle and humble way and his only motivation is love. And we deconstruct and reconstruct under that authority that is outside of us. And we model our lives based on what has gone before us in Christ and in the Christian tradition and the followers of Jesus and not on our own inner intuition and self-determination. If we belong to Christ and to others, then we deconstruct and reconstruct in proximity and presence to others, particularly to the community of faith that we belong to. And we bear the responsibility of community and our deconstruction and our reconstruction involves others, not just our own selves quick sketch of why we belong to others through the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, this may be groundbreaking for you because it was for me as I recently kind of came to terms with it, but you and I are not image bearers of God as individual human beings. God only exists in community. Let us make them in our image. In the image of God, he created them. 
to reflect the image of God, the imago Dei, we must belong to others as God belongs in loving community. God bestows his glory upon creation by endowing them with the glory of belonging to one another as he does in perfect loving community. Now, of course, the fall of that glory comes very shortly afterwards in Genesis 3, and the chaos that was ordered through this loving community turns into a power over others, and there is now this violence and possession and oppression and war that begins to unfold through the scriptures. And Jesus comes to redeem this broken way and invite us all back into the community of God and again to bear the Imago Dei. In John chapter 17 and verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, about his disciples, his 12. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, as just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, they in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. His prayer is that we may be in community as he is in community with the Father, that the world may know that God has sent his loving Son to redeem our humanity, to give us a portion of the glory we lost, to give us that back, through belonging to others. Paul would remind, would remind those who would accept this invitation in all their messiness as a community of believers in a church where there's drunkenness and adultery and infighting and false doctrine and gossip and leaders and leaders doing wrong and a church that's littered with scandal. He reminds them of their place in the story of this new family that now reflects the glory of God's community. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is complete freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Who is being transformed into the image of God? We all are as a community. Individuals who belong to themselves, who self-govern and self-determine, who use the way of Jesus as just another technique of efficiency for a happier, more authentic life. No, we all are being transformed to reflect the image of God as one community, diverse, different in race, in economics, in politics, in religious history, but we belong to one another. We stand as a city on a hill, a light in the world. Now, if we lose that light, that flavor, that luminosity that makes us the community of God, then we cease to receive this ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. And so again, speaking to my friend this week, I'm trying to help him understand that Jesus was offering him so much more than just forgiveness of sins, so much more than just membership into heaven someday. He came to make all things new again and to reconstruct a people who together and only together would reflect his image and glory in the world around them, who would somehow bear the imago day of the garden, even in all of our brokenness and all of our difference. And so as we think about this process of reconstruction, as we reconstruct how it is and we, we deconstruct why it is that way and we reconstruct how it should be, we ask, 
How can things be better, not just for me, but together? And we wrestle together. And we listen to one another. We make space for doubt and criticism. And we give grace to others who are wrestling. And we call each other to submit to the way of Jesus. And we are willing to bear with one another. To hear admonishment, regardless of our positions. And to seek better for others, regardless of our preferences. And I want to add something important here. Deconstruction typically comes from a place of woundedness. I heard a great message on this from John Mark Comer, and he he talked about how our woundedness from relationship leads us to to wrestle with why things are the way they are, and we we deconstruct things. But he pointed out a really deep truth that that is just true, that you cannot heal from a relational wound outside of relationship. It may be a hurt from a parent or a pastor or a group or a feeling of rejection or oppression or judgment, or sometimes it's just a feeling of deep loneliness, all of which happen in the church, but you cannot reconstruct what the wound has caused without people. Reconstruction requires relationships. It's the only way to heal a relational wound is through relationship. And so the way of Jesus invites us to reconstruct how things can be from that place of belonging to God and to others and to live into his promise of human flourishing. Can you imagine yourself belonging? Without suspicion, more whole, more holy, more safe, more filled with grace and confidence, more trusting It will only come about through time and community and grace and truth in the way of Jesus. May God bless your reconstruction. And may we together belong to Christ and to one another and reflect his image in the world. God bless you.